Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. three. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler, coming at you for the second part of a crossover with my good friend, uh, David Ramil from over at Locked on Heat. We just, we just did the first part of this pod over on Locked on Heat. So, of course, go check that out. I'll have a link down below. Uh, we had a good conversation on Victor Oladipo and what he brings to Miami and how he's going to fit in there. Um, David, first of all, how are you doing, man? I'm hanging in there, man. Uh, it's been fun. You know, the kind of chaos and turmoil of the trade deadline has passed. Miami still hasn't found a way to figure everything out just yet. They've still gone through injuries. And, of course, the, the key acquisition, Victor, has not been there, unfortunately. But overall, a good place to be covering the team right now. Yeah, definitely. And and just the, we noted on your pod, but also for this as well, Victor is not going to be playing tomorrow as has just been reported recently, um, which is unfortunate. Uh, I am, am just hope that he's able to be okay. I know that he's been dealing with some personal stuff. Um, so the first thing that I want to ask you, what has been the biggest problem for Miami uh, since the losing, I mean, since the losing started against the Pacers, because they were on a really good, like maybe the hottest streak in the league until that two game series and Miami's just been flipped on his head a little bit. Now they're, they're down to the AC below 500. Um, yeah. What's kind of changed up. I know that they won last night against New York in a, a pretty solid win, uh, but a six game losing streak for this team was, uh, was pretty unexpected. Look, they, they faced some pretty tough competition, a Blazers team that was uh, coming off a tough loss, uh, a Pacers team that had something to prove. The Suns, obviously a very good team, and the Hornets, too, have been uh, a real tough out this season, particularly in clutch situations. But when you look at what Miami was dealing with over the last couple of weeks, and, and perhaps it's a, a lazy excuse, but I really think that the pressure of the trade deadline was getting to a lot of their key players, oh, yeah. particularly shooters like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, who had been virtually... I mean, they were abysmal at, at times there where you couldn't really see them hitting any kind of shots at all. They were had wide open looks that were rimming out and they just seemed uncomfortable in almost every aspect. And I really think for a 21-year-old like Hero who had kind of shown out in the bubble and then really had a, a great rookie season and was counted on to be such a big part of this team. And then, you know, from early on already, he was linked to James Harden as far as a, a particular, or a, you know, a possible trade uh, asset. And then, you know, there were other names out there. And of course, now with the trade deadline, it, it seemed like he might even be on his way out to Houston in exchange for Victor Oladipo. But Miami fortunately was able to hang on to Hero and, and, issue a statement later on saying that he was at least through media circles that he was not ever included in any kind of trade package and they had no willingness to trade him or anything like that i'm not sure how much i buy that but at the same time you know that the pressure was getting to him and so it just seemed he seemed particularly uncomfortable robinson duncan robinson looked really really bad and i think all those things kind of just peaked at the worst time for miami uh and, and so they faced all this tough competition they weren't hitting their shots their offense just seemed sluggish they've also been dealing with a lot of injuries too i mean Vic, uh, i'm sorry jimmy butler's back in the lineup but at the same time they still had key players in and out goran dragic hasn't been there and even when he was against the knicks last night he did not look particularly good and i have huge concerns about his role moving forward because I just don't know that he'll be able to duplicate what Pacers fans saw him do in the playoffs. Like, I don't think that version of Goran is ever going to be back. And so 
there was a little bit of everything. It's just some miscommunication on defense and defense. They're trying to incorporate Trevor Ariza. Uh, you know, the trade happens, and then all of a sudden you've got a couple of players missing from the starting lineup. It just has not been a good couple of weeks for Miami. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think what's most interesting to me and why I'm very intrigued to see what happens with uh with this game in particular and just the coming a week or two as Victor integrates with the team once he comes back, um, just how the the ball handling hierarchy plays out. Because I think the the Miami team, I was looking through some of the data recently, and I mean, they're just about, I think over the last month, they're the top rim finishing team in the league. Uh, But they are the second worst three-point shooting team in the league as well, shooting 32% from a three um, over the last month of basketball. and it's shown this year. I mean, they're 28th in the league for the entire year in, in three-point shooting. Um, how much of this has just felt like statistical regression for you and and just blatantly bad shooting? Because I know, I mean, T- Tyler Hero shot the lights out last year. Duncan Robinson obviously had one of the best shooting uh, shooting seasons in NBA history. Um, and it sounds crazy to talk about, but like Duncan Robinson shooting 39% on eight and a half threes a game feels like light work. Like it's not – compared to what he was doing last year. Um, and I, it just feels like that has really sunk in the offense and, and what they were doing and had going last year. Like even the role players have struggled with shooting as well. Like, yeah. um, and, and it's not just like they're all contested. Like it, it was just a lot of wide open missed threes. So do oh, you yeah. feel like that's going to be coming? Like in, in, in the article that I wrote and talking about Vic, I was just of the mind. Like, I think it's going to have to level out. Like, I don't think it's going to go back to being like, as good as it was in the bubble last year, but it feels like it has to be raising up soon. Right. I, I tend to think it will. Like, I, I think so much of last season was especially early on. If you recall like the, the ebbs and flows of the season, like Jimmy joins the team. And of course there's widespread criticism that, Oh, why did he go to retire in South beach and things of that sort. And, yep. Uh, and the expectations for that team were not particularly high. You draft Tyler Hero in the lottery, and you're thinking, oh, Bam and Abayo all of a sudden has to assume this starting role. And you've got this guy, Kendrick Nunn. Who who the heck is Kendrick Nunn? And he's an undrafted player. And then all of a sudden, you kind of just take the league by surprise, and especially with a guy like Duncan, who played 16 games the previous season, and nobody, including me, expected him to have that kind of output. Like, you saw that he could be a shooter, but he didn't have that kind of gravity. He didn't have that release. He didn't have any of what we saw last season. And so I think it just took some time for everybody to catch up, but you even saw that regression in season last year when by, by February, by the all-star break, this team was losing quite a bit. They were struggling uh, as they were going into the hiatus after the trade deadline where they acquired Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala and Solomon Hill. Then all of a sudden, you know, they were still not playing particularly well and it took the hiatus for them to kind of restart and and that's when Tyler Hero made his biggest leap too as far as he was able to incorporate some more playmaking during the hiatus because that was like the break between year one and year two where players often you know show up and and make a a huge change to their overall style and game where they make the adjustments necessary to thrive in the NBA and we saw aspects of that in the Orlando bubble for Hero but I, I think that regression just has kind of carried over like now you know what to expect from Duncan Robinson and he's been pressured a lot more and without his overall gravity without you know he's taking i think there's been a statistic from i, I want to say basketball index i might be wrong about that but i know it's been making the rounds where as far as percentiles or percentages of where he ranks and taking the toughest shots in the nba he's in the 98th percentile 
like nobody's taking harder shots than Duncan Robinson around the league because he's just constantly coming around screens, mm. having multiple defenders go at him, you know, and, and taking up his space, you know, crowding him constantly. And so it makes everything so much more difficult for his teammates because they just can't seem to get those same open looks. And, and look, uh, you say what you will about Myers Leonard and his recent issues, but he was stretching the floor really well for Miami as a starter. He was a big part of why they had such a, a great lineup uh you know starting the the season yet last year and he wasn't in the rotation this year but i think that's a big part of it too you missed some pretty substantial shooting at the center position and kelly olenic when he was elevated to the starter he's been so inconsistent throughout his career so you had a lot of guys that just weren't able to produce the same numbers so i think there is some regression there but at the same time i think and, and you pointed it out before Oladipo's insertion into the lineup, I think, creates other opportunities for their shooters. There's going to be a lot more space there because of that drive and kick game, because of his ability to draw in the defense as he gets to the rim. And I think you're going to see a lot more of those wide open looks, which Miami has been struggling with. But I think a lot of that has to do with pressure because, again, you're on the trade deadline or trade block and you start to hear your names and all these rumors and everything else like that. And you've got the ball there on an Island looking at this, you know, shot this rim from 23 feet away. And you're thinking to yourself, I've got to hit it. I've got to hit it. I've got to hit it or else I wind up getting traded. Right. And that puts yeah. the pressure that increases the pressure so much more for these young guys and these players. And, and I just think now that that pressure is off of them, they're going to be enjoying those wide open looks and being able to capitalize them a lot more than they have throughout the year. That's such a great point to bring up. Like, I wish that people would think about that more, not to like just belittle or generalize fans, but like, I just remember, like, I don't know if I, I, I to, to people listening, they know this because I talk about it like fairly decent amount. Uh, I used to fight, like I was working on a pro boxing career before I went back to school. And like, I used to think about that all the time. I was never worried about like facing an opponent. I was just thinking about like, gosh, I better not mess up in front of this crowd. I don't want to get knocked out in front of a crowd of a thousand people. Like that is like, that's the kind of stuff, like that's, that's the pressure that gets to you. Like, right. and it's tenfold, the 20 fold for these guys in the NBA. And I, I think people really discount that sometimes. Like I can't even imagine being Tyler hero at age 21 being asked to like, uh, I mean, like some of the stuff that came out, like, all the stuff that got made up on Twitter, like Tyler Hero sees Twitter. He knows what's going on on Twitter. Like everyone talking about how I remember it was a big thing, big thing from a lot of Heat fans. Like, no, we wouldn't include him in a James Harden trade. Like that is a lot to, to process as a guy like Tyler Hero, you know, like talking about one of the greatest players of all time, yeah. best offensive player of his generation. Like, I don't know. It is a, it is a big burden to carry on your back for sure. Um, and, the kind of pressure that comes from fans after that like you know um to, 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 to add to hero though like there's also been a dip in his decision making like there's always i remember talking to rob mahoney of the ringer right, mm -hmm. when he was with si before and just talking about tyler hero and the term that he always uses you have to kind of accept the, the variance levels for him like there's going to be moments where he has these incredible outings but you also have to live with those dips because he's a rookie and because he's still young and thriving but it seems like there's been an overall kind of drop in you know hero's level of decision making he's like pushing the ball like you you pointed it out uh either, i can't remember now if we were talking before or in our in the last part one or if we were talking off uh, off recording because we were talking about hero's game and his ability to drive to the hoop and things of that sort like he's just taking contested shots that he doesn't necessarily need yeah. to take and it's just so it's so i don't know confusing to me like like his 
Tyler Hero in transition is almost invi invariably going to turn into a turnover. Like he just can't <laughs> seem to finish at the rim. Uh, he just he'll take a contested shot that he doesn't need to take, or he'll force a pass that he doesn't need to force, and it's just. There's been a lot of weirdness to Tyler's game this year, and I wonder how much of that is going to change over the next few weeks of the season, especially now that he's got a much more clearly defined role. Like maybe the expectation was that to some people that he'd kind of become a, a big three alongside uh, Jimmy and Bam, but clearly that he was not ready for that responsibility just yet. But now that Oladipo's there, I wonder if he'll accept that role off the bench and he'll just continue to thrive on it. I hope so. I I really want to see him in play because he's he's a fun player to watch. He's so electric. Like I remember, it was killer. Like covering the games last year when uh, during the playoffs series, like the shots that he was hitting were were ridiculous. And but most important, like what he was doing in the box series was just amazing. Like to think about that that dude was twenty. Like so he's not part of the big three yet, but uh, definitely possible in his future for sure. Um, yeah. So it's actually kind of funny because what you hit on earlier about Myers Leonard, that's something that I've found really intriguing to me, not, not Myers Leonard in general, because that's a whole other thing, but like just what he brought to the team last year, I think there's something that has really been missing this year. Like you were mentioning just kind of an innings eating big who can start games and just give you some more positional versatility. Um, and I think that's something the team has really missed this year. And that's just my perspective on it. I've only probably watched, you know, 25 of the heat games, but like, um, like, I think I would have loved to see a guy like Gorgie Jang end up in Miami just to play 15 or 20 minutes, give you more opportunities for Bam to not have to play center. Because just by my personal opinion, like, I think Bam is better defensively when he doesn't have to play center. And that's actually one of the questions I want to ask you, too. Like, how do you feel about some of the switching that happens? Because that's been just in watching the heat from afar. Like, I find that frustrating because Bam is obviously a very, very capable um, switchy big. Like, he's probably the best switchable big in the league I can guard just about anybody one through five but a lot of times um there will be some soft switches that happen and then bam ends up guarding somebody and there's a total mismatch on somebody in the post and yep. it always ends up being like you know kendrick nunn or tyler hero gets mismatched in the post and it's just um yeah. obviously post offense is not like the like the most well it happened against the knicks and goran yeah. dragic out on an island trying to guard julius randall and it wind up not being as big a mismatch like randall clearly clearly calling for the ball tried to take goran down into the low post and, and dragic actually managed to wrap his arm around and poke the ball out and force it out of bounds and so they could kind of reassess on defense but still i mean it does happen a lot so that's a great observation on your point and i, I don't know i i think they're kind of leaning into this version of who they were in the bubble that was not the case last season during that you know when they had Myers Leonard as a starter because obviously they had to they had drop coverage and defense because he's just not nearly as mobile enough mm -hmm. and it worked I mean they were they were really good again maybe it was just a matter of them kind of taking the league by storm and people not really quite sure of what to expect but they were able to compensate for a lot of the weaknesses that they had in the starting line like, like none not a great defender Leonard positionally not a great defender either certainly not a, a great rim protecting big or anything like that but they were just able to kind of figure out a great scheme that worked for them and and they had the personnel to kind of implement it effectively and i think between all the starting lineups and all the different changes this season it's been a little bit more difficult for them to adapt especially because of that switch heavy defense that they've been incorporating now so i, I don't know I, I feel like again we keep saying this but i i feel like it's just going to be true like there is going to be a a switch that i think gets flipped in, in the next couple of weeks when when Oladipo joins the team because i think he does 
help a lot more. Like his defense over Kendrick Nunn's is such a huge improvement, uh, not just on ball, but off ball as well. His mm -hmm. ability to force turnovers and things of that sort that I think it's going to be a, a big boost for them. But I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, I don't think that there's a big name out in the market yet or a big rather on the market because yeah, you see Jang, you know, signing with the Spurs, uh, LaMarcus Aldrich chooses to go to Brooklyn after a six game losing streak for Miami, you know, even though he was practically on the, on the dotted line signing with Miami. It sure seems like I was so surprised when the Brooklyn news dropped because it's everything. I mean, we were talking about this two weeks ago, like everything was pointing to him going to Miami. So that was a, that was a wild decision. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Nets are probably a much clearer favorite to, to, you know, go all the way to the NBA finals. And if that's the case, I can understand that decision-making process. But I, I'm sure, and I made this point in a recent podcast, I think he, the Heat players will take that personally and use that as motivation. And, and you know, look, it, it gets a little cliche after years covering the team, but I've heard it enough now. And I think that they actually believe it, that the Miami heat and the Miami heat culture, sorry, it's just not, <laughs> it's, it's not for everybody. And you have to want to be here in order to thrive in this situation. And, and maybe Aldrich just at this point in his career, didn't want to necessarily put in the work. There were questions about his conditioning level and his commitment to conditioning and, I, I think those are pretty justified too. So in, in Brooklyn, it's a much easier, much smaller role than what he would have expected in, in Miami. Uh, and he's not ready for it. So aside from those names and everybody else that's already signed with other teams, I just don't know that there is another innings eating big too. So it's just, they are missing something. They, they've been pretty bad in rebounding overall, but I think they kind of uh, devalue that as a franchise in general. Um I, I just I don't know. I, there are no other options there. I guess Casey Opala could get some playing time, but he's not really uh, much of an option. He's not a, a pretty good rebounder either at this point in his career anyway. Yeah, definitely. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they make any moves there. Um, I, I also what, wonder what too, moves could they make? Could they make like, do you think Boogie Cousins can bring anything? To oh, this team? I would not. Not, not with right? how they play defense. Like I think you have to adjust what you do defensively so much. And it's different too. Cause I think like LaMarcus, um, I mean, I viewed him too. Like, I first of all, I hate when people just say so and so is washed. Like, Lamarcus Aldridge is what, like 36 now? He should be falling off. That's what happens. Athleticism declines. That doesn't mean he's washed. Uh, he still provides a lot offensively. Like, I think if you're running him out as a stretch big, he's really good at doing that. If you don't ask him to get into the post, like a lot of the issues the Spurs had this year was he'd be in the post, miss a shot. And he's so slow that, I mean, they were giving up four on fives in transition all the time, um, which is part of what tanked their net ratings when he was on the court. But like, I think point being, if you put him in the right context, he could have been good. Like, I think he, like, that's how I, I envisioned him as like a supercharged version of Myers Leonard. He's not like a great rim protector or anything, but he's, a little bit better than Myers at that because he's got more size. Um, or at least like, I think he's a little bit length, like longer than uh, I hate. Nah, God, that's that came off the wrong way. But um, I think he's got like some more length than Myers Leonard. He's a little bit better with rim protection instincts. Like, um, and he, he's a more consistent, more willing three-point shooter than Myers and can do more in the half court. Um, I thought he would have been a guy who like, okay, you get him and he plays 15 to 20 minutes for the heat. And that would have been fantastic. And you right. would have to change stuff up defensively too. But like, I agree. Like I, he's not like somebody who I, I think like game changes things for the, for Brooklyn just gives him another like crazy option to have. Um, but in terms of just looking at the heat again, though, you mentioned him earlier. Uh, how do you like, like we just talked about Victor for, for a half hour and, and why we really like the fit for him in Miami. 
I mean, I think Kendrick's the guy who gets moved to the bench. How do you think that's going to impact his game moving forward? Because it, it really felt like he found his role and found some comfortability back on the court this year after being largely out of the rotation for the playoffs. Um, I, I feel like that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, with Kendrick, it's always such a head-scratching move because he, like, he is – probably the ultimate poker face like he is just somebody who does not show any level of emotion or I, I, he, even after like a thunderous dunker or anything like that like there's rarely much joy out of a player like that not to say that he doesn't feel things obviously but it's just the expression is just never there on the court so it's hard to kind of gauge even behind the scenes i mean this is from his teammates and coaches everybody talks about it you just never know with kendrick whether or not he's feeling up or down or somewhere in between so my feeling is that he'll privately be pretty upset about it, but you know, I think he has to acknowledge that he's not as good a player as Victor Oladipo. And I think, you know, interestingly enough, it was a point that Tyler Hero made uh, when he was he had his role reduced to, or not reduced, but changed to a bench role. And he said, you know what? It doesn't matter whether I start or come off the bench. I just want to be a star in my role. And I think that's a good attitude to have. And yeah. hopefully it's one that Kendrick embraces as well. That as long as he sees himself, maybe he can become a super six man. Like ultimately, I think that's probably where alongside Hero, that's probably where their their maybe not Hero's ceiling is, but Kendrick's ceiling. I think that's why how, he, how he's widely viewed. I think he's he was seen as a guy who could come off the bench, just ignite offenses real quick and and just, you know, kind of kind of like a Lou Williams type player. Uh, perhaps a lot more athletic than, than Williams is. But I, I think he can embrace his role. Uh, he's been through it enough, and hopefully he won't see it as a demotion. And as long as he just continues to feel comfortable, space the floor, and you know he's not going to provide much defense, although he had been providing an uptick in playmaking, I hope that he'll still be able to incorporate that off the bench as well. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's Clearly, he is the player that should be coming off the bench. I don't think Goran can handle a starting role, although he started uh, inexplicably against the New York Knicks uh, on Tuesday. Uh, hopefully that is not the case, or Monday, rather, not the case moving forward because he's just he has not been the player he was in the bubble, and it's a shame to see it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so another thing, too, that I would ask, like uh, how, does, how does the Old Depot trade – change your uh what would the word be change your outlook for for the rest of the season for the heat yeah i i've never i always thought that this team this version of the team even before the trade was better to some degree than last year's team like as long as you have jimmy and Bam playing you, you don't there's always going to be the potential for them to beat almost any opponent um and I, I thought this in the finals. I thought that throughout the playoffs, obviously, that they would find a way to, to persevere. Uh, as far as the minor moves they had made on the fringes, you know, the Avery Bradley signing, while it didn't work out for you know either of them, I think it, it made a lot of sense. You know, he added a dimension as far as perimeter defense that was missing from guys like Goran Dragic. And, and Dragic to me, and I keep bringing it up, and I hate to say it, but he is the X factor here because he was so good in the bubble last year and his play has been so well disappointing uh, between time that he's missed with injury or even kind of working his way onto the floor after he had to go through health and safety protocols, the, the kind of changes to the lineup, the overall age, slowing him down. Like he's had great moments. And then there's moments out there where he just looks like an older player that can't provide any of what he did in the Orlando bubble last year, or even throughout most of his career. And so he is the X factor, but I think now with Oladipo, you don't have to rely on him as much. And I think now all of a sudden you have 
that third level score for you that can kind of change things around and can kind of, you know, ignite the offense and, and, and again, make an incredible impact on defense. So I, my expectations were never that they were going to contend for a title again, even though they made it to the finals last year. While the the term fluke is probably a little too um, heavy, I, I would say that they certainly exceeded expectations and they certainly maximized their opportunities in the Orlando bubble. If that's perceived as a fluke or if that's what makes them a fluke, I, I can't I can't change that perception. But to me, they just they made the most of the chances that they had in Orlando and they thrived in that scenario. So. Um, this year, a little different, the, the hardest NBA season in NBA history. So between the, the compressed schedule, between the kind of factors externally and internally, there's been so much to kind of deal with. And they don't have the same kind of talent as a Brooklyn team. But if they're healthy and if they could make maybe one more roster change, and I don't even say, say that the, the roster change is necessary, but it, even if they just move forward as currently constructed, if Ariza embraces his role, if none embraces his role, if everybody kind of finds a way to to kind of just coalesce at the right opportunity, I think they can duplicate last year's finals run. Like I, I think even against a team like the Nets, as stacked as they might be with the kind of talent they have, Miami just seems to always find a way to beat opponents, uh, it, especially because you have a player like Jimmy Butler, who just seems to carry everything through sheer force of will. I, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's weird to say, but I, and not exactly uh, analytical in nature, but he just seems to have like the superior will where he just kind of inspires and carries a team. There are very few players who have that capacity and I didn't know he had it in him, but after watching him closely last year and seeing what his performance Throughout all of last season, I, I am a believer in Jimmy Butler. Yeah, no, I don't think that that is uh, the wrong way to say it at all. I mean, I think Jimmy totally changed my perception of him by what he's doing in, in Miami. Like, uh, last year was a surprise for me. I mean, I didn't even know if the Heat would make the playoffs, uh, just to be completely frank, at the beginning of the year. Because I, I like Jimmy Butler. Like, I've always enjoyed watching Jimmy Butler. But um I just didn't know that he was necessarily the player who was going to be able to lead a team like that. And, and he has, um, and I agree. Like I, we, we talked about this uh, in the last pod, like this team is ripe for a, a shooting bump and, and they've been looking for it all year. And if they have a similar thing play out where it, it starts to play in, you know, late April, early March, and that's when the shooting starts to really hit. I mean, if, if that carries over into the playoffs, that's, I don't want to say like game over man or anything like that. We're not trying to re replicate aliens. Um, but I hope hopefully you got that reference. I, I've seen a lot of obscure movies, but um, <laughs> even though that's not an obscure movie, but Bill Paxton, look it up, people. Uh, point being, I agree. I just think that there's enough talent on the team. If they are able to have everything gel offensively, um, I don't see why they couldn't go that far. Um, I think it'll be a lot harder given how good Philadelphia and Brooklyn and uh, also, people are my my dog really likes talking about Brooklyn, I guess, too. But um, even looking at Milwaukee, too, like Milwaukee's been under talks about for how good they are. Um, yes. And I, I mean, I get it to an extent. Playoffs, uh, you know, failing in the playoffs hurts, but they're a fundamentally different team this year and what they do and how they approach the game. That's a good point. Um, I mean, Miami was built to challenge the Bucks last year, and now it's a completely different Bucks team. So I don't know that they match up nearly as well. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, now they have like every guard who who started on a team in 2015. So, because um, <laughs> I think, well, they haven't signed Austin Rivers yet, but I know they're in the they're in the running to get him. Um, but regardless, 
I, I'm excited for this matchup. It, last thing before we get out of here, um, what is like the number the, the number one thing that you're probably looking forward to tomorrow in this game, or at least what you're hoping to see uh, from the team? It's uh, a tough one. Um, I guess, I guess uh, find a way to mitigate the TJ McConnell <laughs> impact like he had last in, in that two game series. Like he was just phenomenally efficient uh, against Miami and I'm not sure exactly what it was like I I didn't want to rewatch those games specifically to find what it was that McConnell did well but he just seemed to have a knack him and, and McDermott had such a great chemistry there McDermott seemed to really exploit the weaknesses that were pretty apparent in Miami's defense and his off-ball movement was fantastic uh, the baseline cuts were there and he just seemed to find again a way to exploit Miami's defenses and then McConnell certainly had some incredible passes there I mean, and so that's what I'm most concerned with. And again, you never quite think that a role player like McConnell or McDermott is going to be the, the, the kind of deciding factor for a game, but it seemed to be the case against Miami last time. So I, I wonder if they find a way to kind of change all that. I, I don't see how, considering they're so weak in the guard department, defensively in particular, they don't have Oladipo now, so they don't even have Bradley available. So it's uh, I don't know what kind of adjustments they'll be able to make. I'm sure Eric Sprolstra will try his best to coach the team up to, to understand what they need to do. But uh, that, that's that's the matchup that I'm most curious to see, whether or not Miami finds a way to adjust. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the bench is going to be huge. Uh, the Pacers bench, like you mentioned, kind of carried those two games in some ways. Uh and they have struggled recently. Uh, Doug McDermott was out, obviously, uh, yesterday, and I, I'm not sure that he's going to be back on Wednesday. I know Jeremy Lamb went down yesterday with a foot injury, uh, toe injury to be specific, and he might miss Wednesday as well. Uh, so a lot of moving parts after they finally looked like they were gelling. So it'll be uh, worth noting for sure. Um, well, David, it's always awesome. I always enjoy getting to talk with you. Uh, you can, of course, find David over at Locked on Heat. You should, of course, be listening to his pod if you want to listen to anything, catch up with the heat. That's my go-to. Um, David, you got anything in the works or anything fun that you want to plug before we get out of here? <laughs> no, man, not really. Uh, the, the writing has not been as uh, proficient this year as I'd like, unfortunately, between the, the kind of commitment to the podcast and everything else. I have not uh, done as much as I'd like to, but uh, still working on the, uh, the kind of – framework of a book so hopefully that'll Ooh. be something like yeah it's something i'd love to be able to put together but no i this is just putting it out there uh, kind of uh out there you know in the universe so i can make it happen because i don't i don't know how much time i'll be able to vote if i can't put out a 1500 word column trying to crank out a, a 300 page book seems much more daunting but you know what it's all about positivity right exactly it's always about positivity well thanks again david to everyone listening have a good rest of your day and thank you for listening